Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs. And today we have to talk about venture capital with Spencer Lazar, and he's partner at General Catalyst. So Spencer has spent most of his career in VC. Before General Catalyst, he was with Excel Partners, and before that, and before that, Insight Venture Partners. And he's also had spent some time as a venture-backed entrepreneur and had a development studio too. So I'm quite excited to hear more about Spencer's background and what he's excited about now. Some of his current investments include ClassPass. Uh, Jeffy and Lemonade. So, Spencer, thanks for uh, coming on our show today. You bet. Fun to be here. Thanks for having me. Definitely. All right. So, before we get into kind of what you're up to now, can you tell us? I'm always curious. You know, where did you grow up, and how you know how, how did you get into VC, and tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So, I uh, grew up in Chicago, the Midwestern uh, oh, yeah. guy. <laughs> Always warms my heart to hear a great Midwest accent. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I grew up in Chicago, uh, went to undergrad uh, at Harvard, um, and basically haven't left the East Coast since, I, with the exception of a two-year stint in London where I was uh, investing in European and Israeli companies. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I basically... Uh, got lucky, found out that you could work in venture capital uh, while I was still in college, uh, found out that I could get a job basically dialing for dollars at a place called Insight Venture Partners, um, where they get basically just give you a phone and say, like, find interesting companies. Huh. Um, and uh, and that's kind of how I got started. It was um, an amazing time. It was sort of the exuberance of 2007, uh, followed by the uh, sort of apocalyptic 2008 uh, environment where I had like the rush of the highs and the and sort of the scary quiet of the lows. And that's kind of what kicked off my venture career. And um really grateful for both of those periods. All right. And before we talk about the uh, general catalyst, I, actually you said something about in your past, about when you worked in London, what can you tell us more? That sounds kind of interesting what yeah. you're doing there. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, so I've been at Intake for a few years um, in New York and, um, you know, we got to this funny time in the market where, um, you know, this was like RAP good times uh, in venture capital. I don't know if you remember that famous uh, Sequoia sort of tombstone that, that, yeah. that was published. And um, Insight stopped hiring or, or, or keeping people. Um, and so a bunch of my friends moved to the West Coast to go work at sort of notable uh, firms there. And a few of them started companies, including places like Paypal's Post. Um, and I was sort of thinking, geez, you know, I've always wanted to start a company. The West Coast sounds cool, but I've never met anybody that's done like venture capital in Europe and Israel before. Like not that many people, certainly my age, and not that many people in the New York community had had much exposure to that ecosystem. So kind of everybody went left and I went right, um, mostly to have a challenging uh, personal experience to learn. And frankly, and, and transparently, I hadn't really traveled a lot as a young person. My family had mostly, to the extent that we went on vacations, had done so in the U.S. And so this was sort of an opportunity for me to get off a plane and know no one and sort of develop the fortitude to and self-confidence to um, kind of 
make it on my own. Okay. Um, and uh, that's really what it was about. It was a really great opportunity. Uh, we had just raised at the time uh, a fresh fund and didn't have enough people to deploy it. So we were, we were very busy um, in what was a really, really interesting time in Europe. And so, yeah, that's, that sounds like a interesting, definitely interesting challenge. How, how, you know, what type of companies do you invest in? How do you even find companies? Obviously you didn't have like a strong network over there. So how did you, uh, once again, yeah, I mean, candidly, um, I'll tell you sort of, uh, you know, one thing that, um, was, uh, super unfair advantage and one thing that just kind of took, uh, you know, raw hustle and, and, and effort. So I worked at Excel, um, which you have to remember, this is Excel in 2009. Um, and at the time, you know, the hottest company in the world, maybe still hottest company today, but the hottest company in the world was Facebook. Um, and you know, the firm had just a ton of mojo there, um, which had sort of uh, traveled over from the Valley. Um, and so, you know, most, uh, this is also the go-go days of consumer innovation. So both in e-commerce and sort of media, social media, stuff like that. So really any, um, entrepreneur that wanted to build a global business, would um, be compelled to show up to Excel's office. I mean, I would say eight or nine out of okay. 10 of okay. the best entrepreneurs in any given day would just show up. But the remaining two and maybe the remaining two, three or four, we had to go find. And I, I will tell you, um, I went to Belarus to find companies by myself. Really? Um, I mean, it's a very, very bizarre <laughs> environment out there because all of the cultures are you know, different and the languages are different and, you know, Time zones are different and, you know, all sorts of stuff. It's not like the U.S. where we, you know, despite our differences, are, uh, you know, all sort of operate under the same flag and largely the same trading uh, arrangements and, you know, speak the same language and all that. It's very different there. So the second, well, I was grateful for the uh, the brand and Halo that Excel gave me. You, the only way to find really... Um, special stuff sometimes was to just get on a plane. And I was in a new country at least every week and often two countries every week to try to meet, you know, entrepreneurs in Germany and France and uh, Greece and Austria and, you know, the Nordics and the list goes on. It was a pretty incredible experience. Wow. All right. Well, if we had more time, I'd dive into that more, but let's, (laughs) that's pretty fascinating. So, but let's uh, jump into what you're doing now. Can can you just tell, give us a brief overview of, on General Catalyst, I know you guys are not small. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So we're um, we're a uh, I would say at this point a larger venture capital firm um, by both headcount and by sort of dollars that we manage. Um, so we're kind of uh, four billion dollars under management. Uh, we probably have about twenty five people on our investment team um, across four offices, um, and part of the strategy of the firm has been um, that to collaborate deeply with the entrepreneurs that we work with and to really understand the um, heartbeats of the companies that we uh, we back, we need to be local and we need to be um, you know present and available. Um, and so what we did was obviously we can't build an office in every city, but we we um, over the course of 15 years um, started off in in Boston uh, in Cambridge. And uh, then moved to the Valley, uh, opened an office there in 2010. And then uh, two years later, three years later, when I joined, opened a New York office uh, where I sit um, in, in Soho. 
And um, we have also an office. We have an office in San Francisco and an office in, in Palo Alto. So that's two of the four. But um, that's kind of the geographic footprint of the firm. And we cover um, a lot of territory um, uh, substantively as well. So we'll write, um, you know, 500K checks in the companies all the way up to $50 million checks. Um, so we'll invest across the life cycle of a, of a company, as well as from the geekiest of infrastructure software like, you know, um, storage and log management and security all the way to the most bubble gummy of consumer products like Snapchat or, you know, Airbnb or otherwise. So that's a, that's a broad spectrum. And part of the way that we're able to cover that ter- territory is we have a really interesting partnership. We have nine or 10 partners who have uh, all do IT investing. So we don't have anybody that does um, real estate or ice cream trucks or, um, you know, uh, uh, clean tech or medical tech or anything like that. It's, um, it's all software driven businesses. And, um, we have a lot of domain experts that cover sort of individual silos, uh, within the, the, the broad spectrum of what we do. And the common language is sort of the business models of software and, and internet technologies. Um, so that's kind of the, the layout of the firm. Um, we're 17 years old and, uh, you know, our ambitions have, have never, uh, been higher. Uh, uh, you know, than they are now, and we're we're just really excited for for where we are. Gotcha. And so, and how do you kind of frame that in, ambition, or what do you mean by that? I mean, obviously, you want big yeah. home runs, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think if there's there are a couple of defining characteristics of our firm. Um, one is, uh, you know, we're intensely collaborative. Um, the only way you can make a firm that four offices work is if you really, really invest heavily in that. Um, and the second, really more to your question, um, is um, we're incredibly uh, sort of self-reflective and um, have a very strong sort of learning culture as a firm. So we're, we're our toughest critics and we're, we're constantly trying to push the evolution of the venture capital model push the evolution of kind of the, the areas that we all individually invest in. Um, so what does that actually mean in practice? Um, that means everything from kind of how we um, expanded the venture capital model into uh, the college arena with our program called Rough Draft Ventures, uh, where we have backed close to 150 companies um, uh, across student campuses nationwide, which we have then as a firm wound up kind of investing in and following um, through the Series B, C, even uh, to where they are today. Um, so I would say, you know, that's really about building the proprietary top of the funnel um, in, you know, in the venture model um, to, you know, the uh, way that we, um, have expanded geographically, I think has been, you know, a sign of our, our sort of commitment, uh, and, and hunger to collaborate more deeply and locally with companies. The third is we start companies at General Catalyst, um, where we are really founding partners, uh, in the business. And this is sort of a, has always been part of the firm culture. You know, the, the most well-known companies in this regard are companies like Kayak, um, which my, uh, partner Joel was a, a very, very close founding partner and, um, Demandware, which is uh, uh, was sort of the original cloud uh, e-commerce software provider. Um, two more recent companies like Livongo and the chronic disease management space, we're, we're incubating another one on the West Coast right now um, that is um, building a new sort of front, front end to what is a massive EMR landscape. Um, and so, you know, I would say 
that type of uh, company creation and investment is rare, and it speaks to our desire to get involved early and, frankly, to you know get in at a low cost basis in those companies and 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 uh, build ownership then. Um, so those are a couple examples, but you know it's just I I think back to our we just had a partner offsite last week. I think to our conversations, you know, nobody is sort of leaning back. Everybody is thinking about how they can be a better investor. Everybody's thinking about how we can help our companies, uh, you know, build more value quickly. Um, it sounds somewhat cliche, but you know, to um, a lot of cultural truisms do, unless you're living and breathing them. Uh, and you know, if you were, you could feel it, and it's palpable at our firm. And what's what's your uh, personal kind of investment focus? Uh, what what area? What do you kind of? So I think the, the most the most consistent theme in my career has been um, marketplaces. Um, I've invested in um, you know everything from you referenced ClassPass earlier. I did a, a, a hiring marketplace um, in uh, in the college, in the sort of the college student area, early career professional area called um, Way Up. Um, I um, am just investing in a new company in the blue collar uh, jobs area, huh. which will be announced shortly. Um, so I've done a lot in that arena. And in the last few years, I would say I've complemented that with a new body of work in financial services. So Fundbox is one, which is in small business lending. Uh, uh, Lemonade is one you referenced. That's in uh, renters and homeowners insurance. Um, I just did a new investment in the fraud management space within insurance and probably will make a few more investments in the insurance area. And that um, part of my uh, thinking and, and part of my work has been driven largely by a desire to stay candidly away from Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple, and sort of the sucking sound of their, <laughs> of their in, in innovation sort of garbage disposal where they, they, they make it really hard. They don't make it hard for consumers, but they make it hard for competitors. And we're in the business of funding competitors um, to them or at least new technology companies, and we'd rather not have to deal with them if possible. Um, so uh, I also recently took a little bit of a departure um, from things that I've done in the past to invest in a fascinating company called Bowery Farming, um, which is a new uh, type of software and robotics-driven uh, vertical farming company uh, based here in New York City, which is really changing the way that um, food supply systems, uh, really produce food uh, supply systems uh, work, and uh, just fascinating business. But that was... <laughs> When I did that too, I thought to myself, geez, is this the beginning of something new or is this sort of a, a, um, the, you know, sort of a, 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 a vacation from other things I've done in the past? And my hope is that it's the beginning of something new. I've really enjoyed it. It's a very, very special company. All right. Well, let's, uh, well, let's, let's talk about that. Cause I was going to ask about, uh, you know, I was going to ask you to talk about one of your, I don't know about favorites, but one of your portfolio companies. So I definitely have heard of them and, uh, yeah, let's they, talk about it. They, uh, can you just give a, a brief overview of what they're doing? Because it is yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, so Bowery is um, a uh, a company that is sort of premised on the fact that the way we've grown food in the past has to be different than the way we grow food in the future, largely driven by uh, population expansion. Um and the lack of sort of incremental arable land that we have left on the planet to do farming. Um, so part of what will enable us to feed the next two to three billion people over the course of the next 25 years 
will come from uh, making our existing farms more efficient. But there's also a new part of uh, kind of the, the food supply chain that Irv, uh, the amazing founder of this company, uh, has sort of reimagined, which is um, how we use, uh, how, how we can place the supply of food closer to the demand, which will increasingly be in cities as our population uh, urbanizes. Um, and the way they do that is they basically take over warehouses in largely industrial, kind of low-cost real estate, uh, lower-cost real estate um, regions right by cities um, or close enough to cities. Um, and they reappropriate those warehouses, um, building inside them multi-level, um, think, you know, 10, 20 stories high um, farms that are uh, that grow leafy greens. Um, and the leafy greens, you could think of them as sitting basically in um, very, very large Tupperware containers um, grown uh, under LED lights. Um, and they are cultivated um, using technology, which is, you know, not uh, this piece of the technology isn't new. It's called hydroponics. Um, you may have heard of hydroponics before, um, where they don't actually use soil um, to grow the products. Um, so they, they, they use neither soil nor sunlight, um, two things that you sort of typically would associate with um, growing things like lettuce or basil or kale or whatever. Um, instead, they use LEDs. And the, the magic of the company is the combination of um, the radical reduction in the cost of LEDs that's happened over the course of the past five or 10 years, which has enabled this sort of growing to be economically efficient and viable at scale. It's always been technically efficient, or it has been for some time, um, but to make it economically um, attractive is really a new phenomenon. So combining that cost compression with advances in computer vision um, to enable um, us to understand uh, plant health um, as plants grow in these beds by placing cameras above each of the beds as they develop and basically taking video or pictures and snapshots of, of these things as they grow so that we can eliminate some of the human labor that is a key cost in agriculture um, from tending to um, and basically harvesting crops. You can have sort of the cameras monitoring them and moving them throughout this, um, this growth system using uh, robotics again instead of humans. So if you sort of close your eyes and think about what an Amazon uh, fulfillment center looks like, if you've ever seen sort of videos of the Kiva Systems robots that move around and, and sort of help not eliminate humans, but um, make the humans that work in the factories much more efficient, uh, Irvin and his team at Bowery have done something very similar, where they move these Tupperware uh, containers throughout their warehouse in somewhat of an automated way and um, let the sort of human farmers um, do the kind of more higher leverage work um, to uh, deliver products to consumers. What's amazing is that um, because of developments in sort of machine learning and data science, you can take uh, the um, imagery um, from the cameras that watch the plants, and you can take the uh, sensor data uh, from the, the growth systems that track things like nutrients and water levels and light levels and stuff like that, to really optimize things like taste and, and yield um, in these units in a way that you couldn't do before. And so we're at this really exciting time where you, again, you combine sort of the robotics with the computer vision and machine learning with um, 
had the latest in, um, in LED technology, and you can really do things that were not possible before. And so, you know, our view of the world with Bowery is that we're going to live in a future where we have um, these sorts of growing uh, facilities positioned in major cities all around the world. And if you think about it, what does that mean? It means you have, uh, you don't have to transport products across the planet or even across the country in order to get from, you know, a farm in uh, Florida uh, up to consumers in Washington or consumers in uh, New York State. Um, and that saves on a bunch of, uh, you know, sort of logistics and transportation costs, also good for the environment because you're not schlepping things all over. And for the customer, that results in much lower prices and much fresher food that has a longer shelf life because it hasn't been traveling for three weeks to get to you. So a lot of really interesting societal trends wrapped up in this company, environmental trends, and, and frankly, delicious, delicious products hmm. that make this an incredible pro- uh, company to be associated with. Well, that was good. I, you, you know, I had a few questions around timing because you mentioned timing on your pro, um, profile on um, General Catalyst uh, website, and uh, but you pretty much answered right there, right? All these trends that kind of come together, uh, why this might be something special, right? Because yeah, yes, and because uh, as any entrepreneur obviously knows, timing's kind of a timing's tough. <laughs> but you've probably. It is. It, is, it, is that what you you try to see where these trends kind of converge and where something that all of a sudden like oh this makes sense now but it didn't it did not well, five years ago it, it's it that's exactly right you know we'll we'll hear um, pitches all the time that make sense to us and we'll ask the line out question uh, to try to keep ourselves honest and sometimes that's because the cost of inputs change sometimes that's because sort of technologies change sometimes that's because um, you know there's uh, regulations that have changed. Um, there are all sorts of things that can make something that once sounded possible, you know, like augmented reality or virtual reality. We're dealing with some of these questions right now. Um, you know, uh, when will those technologies actually achieve mass scale? Um, we, we try to keep ourselves honest with that because otherwise, you know, you could have a situation like VR where today on any given day, there's still only hundreds of thousands of people across the world who are using VR every day. If you compare that to, you know, mobile phones where there are, you know, billions of people using phones every day, you can see that if you're building games for VR today, it may be an interesting sort of technology exercise, but from a commercial perspective, it's doomed. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, this is great. So I think we're pretty much out of time, but the last question is a more of a personal one. What do you like to do outside of work or to relax? So, so I have a, um, I have a hobby, which is uh, very orthogonal to my, my venture uh, investing in technology passion, which is I am a avid uh, street art photographer huh. and it's, I do it. I do it all over the world. Awesome. I've been doing it for, almost 20 years and uh, it's actually a really fun way to travel because it takes you to parts of cities you wouldn't otherwise go to because uh, they're kind of rugged areas typically that you know maybe aren't that touristy and um, my wife puts up with me she likes to sort of explore with me uh, and so that's that's what I like to do and frankly New York is a wonderful place to, to have that hobby because the streets change every day and um it's always fun to see what uh, folks come up with all right two super quick following questions do you post any of your photos online and two what was one of your favorite things you've shot over the years uh i do post my photos routinely on my instagram account if you check it out there is uh, (laughs) i I would i would argue 
some people would say I have too many, <laughs> too many graffiti photos on my, uh, on my Instagram profile, but check them out, uh, by all means. I'm just first initial last name is my handle. Um, and what's my favorite thing to shoot? Um, you know, honestly, I would say my favorite thing to shoot is a place, uh, not a specific, um, you know, uh, a piece of graffiti. Um, and the, the, my favorite thing to shoot was a building that actually no longer exists, uh, on Bowery. And I think Prince Street, it might've actually been spring. Um, and it was a building completely covered in, in graffiti and street art from stickers to stencils to spray paints and all that stuff. And it would change every single day. And I had a weekend routine where I would go and, uh, just see sort of how it had been updated. It was like a living mural. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, the artist who owned it, uh, who bought it, I think, for hundreds of thousands of dollars in the, in the 70s, just sold it for like 70 million bucks. Oh. Um, so uh, they cleaned, they cleaned it up, and I can't go there to shoot anymore. But that was my favorite thing to shoot. Awesome. All right. Well, that's a very good way to end this. And, yes, I'll, I'll check you out on Instagram. I saw some of those. and uh, But, yes. Uh, so this has been great, Spencer. Really appreciate your time and thoughts. And Thank you for your time. Real treat. Definitely. And uh, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll follow you and see how things go with uh, with Bowery and everything else. But and thanks sure. everyone. For, Thank you for your time. Definitely. And thanks everyone for listening to the episode of Flyer Labs. As always, I definitely appreciate it. Bye everyone. Bye Spencer.